Good morning, good morning. We'll, get, we'll begin as our extroverts continue to connect with family. How many of you had a hard time saying, you're looking at them, they ain't family, they ain't family. Don't raise your hand, do not raise your hand. Trisha, the first service was great. She said, uh, hey, let's clap our kids out uh, as they go to the children's ministry. And I thought, that's interesting. Like, what if we did that? Anytime somebody left the room, we just started going, woo, yeah, get out of here. Maybe if some people that are leaving, they like leave right after communion, you could just erupt in a huge applause. You're out of here. You're done. You've done it. Oh, that's <laughs> kind of ribbing a little bit. Hey, we are in a series, and I'm a little bit uh, sad that we're going to end this series. It uh, doesn't mean we can't come back to it, because we've been talking about elephants in our faith, and the whole premise of this series has been to challenge the way you think. Uh, when we say elephants uh, are in a room, there's this idea that there's something that nobody wants to talk about, but everybody recognizes it's there. And when we talk about our faith, when we talk about what it means to follow Jesus, often in conversation there are these statements that are made or these ways that people can think about their faith and their elephants because they don't belong. And they're, they're great barriers I think, to what it means to, to follow Jesus. And so for the last several weeks, we've asked questions like, what's the highest authority in your life? Remember I told you the statistics of uh, most people find their, the things that they believe about their faith, their God, their life, from friends or family. Not research, not scripture. Uh, friends and family, this is just what I believe, and they, they put their foot down. And we said, and we agreed that not only here at Green Bay Community Church, but for uh, a Christian community worldwide, we base that our highest authority is God himself, and God himself has left the scriptures for us, has inspired writers. And so we say it really isn't about opinion on stage, it's that we source from the scripture and truth. And so often I'll, I'll talk and people say, well, I like some things you say, I don't like some things you say, and I go, well, that's fine, because very little opinion is what's given up here. It's often coming straight out of Scripture, and now we may debate on some of the interpretation of that, and that could be some of that room, but we see the highest authority as Scripture. We also see as the highest goal in our life. What, what should be the, your mission as you get out of bed every morning? What is the, the highest goal? And we said it's to be like Jesus. I mean, it's to be like Jesus, and that's what Scripture calls us, to follow him, that he's left steps throughout his life. And so it stands to reason that if you want to follow Jesus, then you have to read about Jesus, and then you need to meditate on the story of Jesus and how he called us to live. A lot of people today that walk throughout their faith and say they know God and say they love God and they follow traditions but they've not read this book. They've not taken this book in as the scriptures say in Psalms and meditated on it day and night and uh, in the mornings as David says in Psalms 1 and I'm like a tree that's firmly planted by streams of water. I'm, I'm drinking that in and I'm becoming, my mind is changing about life in this world. Friends, if you want to know and follow Jesus, then you got to read about him and you need to study and you need to do that in groups and and begin to discuss what that looks like in your life. 
So we said not only the highest authority is Scripture, and obviously God who wrote the Scripture, but we said that Jesus is our highest goal, to be like Jesus. Jesus says things like to forgive. And if you know, as you've read about Jesus, he doesn't say, there's no, there's no like clause or parentheses after, you don't have to forgive when. It says, always forgive. It says, forgive the person who harmed you, physically harmed you, maybe even abused you, hurt you in horrible ways. It never gives a clause for not forgiving. This is being like Jesus. It's tough to learn. It's tough to understand. It's tough to think about. But this is what what we've been reading and what we've been talking about. The third question really was last week is what's the highest purpose in your life? Why are you here? Why does God have us here and why does Jesus come and die? We know that for our sin. But then he says, I'm leaving another one, a helper. And he says, I'm going to launch the, to the new strategy. It's going to be to fulfill the Old Testament. But this new strategy is going to revolutionize what it means to follow me. And it's called the church. It's called family. And it's such a powerful picture. And we said last week, we started it, it's not about tradition. Now, again, if you want to uh, listen to last week and you weren't here, I would advise you to do that. But we talked about tradition is beautiful and powerful only when, only when it points to truth. When it points to truth and it calls us to remember and respond, it's absolutely beautiful thing in our lives. When tradition is simply punching a card and you don't know why, means nothing. Now, we're in the tradition season, right? From Thanksgiving on, families all over, at least North America, are going to be involved in celebrating traditions. And you know, you're going to have kids and grandkids and aunts and uncles and cousins and all those people are going to come together and maybe some of them don't know why you do the things you do. And maybe you don't even know why you do the, some of the things you do. But hopefully underneath that tradition, there's a reason There's a purpose, because you're remembering something. You're gathering to celebrate something. And this is why we have tradition. And so it gives us some grace for creeds throughout the centuries. It gives us grace for huge monuments made in ancient history over the name of Jesus and his life, and so that doctrine would be held and that people would not forget. And even today, we do things as symbols and And disciplines and things that we do in song are all for us to have tradition that points us to truth so we can remember and respond. And so this morning I want to continue on kind of part two of church. And I want to address an elephant that is pretty large in people's thinking. And I've heard it quite often and maybe you have too. And it's that being part of the church is optional. Being part of the body of Christ is an optional thing. Let me, let me kind of build on this because here's some of the phrases that you'll hear out of this elephant in people's faith. Some people will say, well, I'm a Christian, but not a part of a church. And I want to address this morning, that's absolutely biblically impossible. You cannot be a follower of Jesus this morning and not be a part of the church. What you are is an absent member of our family. It'd be like, you know, none of us got to choose which family we were born in, right? Some, that's a bummer. Some, that's okay, right? It, it, no laughs there, huh? Mm. I don't want to laugh because I'm sitting next to him. No. 
Um, uh, we didn't get to choose which family we were born into. And so the reality is we are family. So when we go to our family, and our, actually our family will come to our house, the reality is we're family. And we have a choice to either be good family or not good family. And I don't mean about works, because me doing good or bad things doesn't make me more or less more family, correct? It just means I have a choice as an uncle and a, and a dad uh, and a son-in-law, all those different terms that I'm going to be listed as. I have a chance to be uh, one that's apart, one that's seen as, as, as actively involved in family. Friends, this is the local church. You have been adopted into a family, and you're a part of a family, and you can choose to be an active part or a non-active part, but you are a part. You are the church. I love Jesus, but not the church. A ridiculous statement. Really what it refers to, more people feel like they're offended by a church, right? And when you say you're offended or you don't like a church, what does that mean? Look to the left and right. Yeah, look to the left and right. It means you don't like each other. So often I've had, we've had friends, really good friends and family, and even today, that choose not to be a part of the gathering. And some people will say to me, Troy, why do you take that so personal? Because it's family. And because when people say I'm offended or I don't like, it really talks more about method, and it says something, or they don't like me. Or they don't like you. Now what's interesting about this principle is that you all have this wonderful option sitting in chairs. You guys get to pick who you get to be friends with really close in this room, right? You could kind of shop, right? The bummer for me is I have to be a friend to everybody. I'm the pastor. I have to like everybody. Even the people that you don't like, right? That's really what... We're, we're family. You can't love Jesus and not the church because the church is listed as his bride. It's, it's, it's who Jesus is. It says that he is the head. You can't just love Jesus and not his bride. I cannot find a church I like. Have you heard this before? What is that suggesting? What, what's the elephant in the faith when you start to say things like that? Well, the methods are not my methods. The model is not the model I like. And this really doesn't speak to anything about the deeper issue of what does it mean to be a part of a family. You, it says scripture, we're going to look at that in a moment, says that you have been brought into this new family. I've been hurt by the church. I'll confess I've been hurt by people in the church. Here. In the past. I've been hurt by my biological family. Now, just think with me for a moment in this picture. If we're family, Scripture says we're clearly a new spiritual family, and I've been a part of family, and what does family do typically? Biological family could say, well, I've been hurt. I'm out. We're not going to that dinner anymore. Or I'm out because uh, I can't believe they didn't get me a gift, right? Right? Or I have a football game to watch, and I don't really care what they're doing, so I'm gonna, I'm, we're not going to that. You, mean, you see all the reasoning and how we would just go, hmm, that's not good, because that's your family. 
spin that into our spiritual family. Do you know how often I hear what's not right about our family? And I would tell you, you're exactly right. This is one messed up family here, right? Amen? We're all messed up. And we're doing the best we can to be family. And as God's called us to rally around who he is, it's why we're in here. And hopefully every week as we gather, we get this great opportunity to be family and to worship together and to, and to give together and to serve together throughout the week. But you see how this is an elephant in people's faith. You don't go to church. So I want to encourage you this morning, as I said last week, do not throw the baby out with the bathwater. This is a great phrase that came out of Germany, and uh, they used to bathe people in these buckets, which is a little bit disturbing, but they did it. And you see this little drawing of someone, oops, I just threw out my baby with this dirty bathwater. Can we all agree that the expression of the bride of Christ as humans is flawed? That all the things that we've done to church murkies and muddies the water. And I'm a part of that. And I'm definitely not a perfect pastor. And I'm not, uh, our staff's not perfect, and our elders are not perfect, and our volunteers aren't, and neither are you. And so you mix some of that sin, some of that struggle we have. Yeah, there's some muddy water here at Community Church in our family. But I challenge you to look at the baby the bride, this beautiful picture. And I want to talk about that a little bit this morning. What is the church? So we know that it's not simply a tradition. We know that it is a part of our tradition to gather together, but let's, let's go a little bit further. First of all, it's not a building or a place. Now, many of you have heard me talk about this and say, we're not a building or a place, and then, oh, by the way, we're going to do stuff to our building. You're like, what? And I get these really nice emails from people <laughs> about what I, how I messed up again. And I'm like, you're exactly right, I messed up. Uh, this is a great, I love these old pictures of churches. And part of them I loved, they're just absolutely beautiful. But part of, them, part of me asks a deeper question. What happened? Because the, the church is never defined by a place or a building, ever throughout scripture. So why is this place empty? Why is it not used anymore? If it's just a building, I'm always wondering what happened to that fellowship and what happened to that body of believers and maybe the, the facility got too old and maybe it was not relevant. I don't know, but I always wonder about the people, the family that was there. The church has never been described as a building or a place and yet still today I catch myself, are you going to go to church? We don't go to church. You are church. And so I want to just give you, remember last week I talked a little bit about church history. I just want to go back. We all start from the root of Judaism from the Old Testament, the Hebrews. Jesus, or God himself, chooses the, the Israelites as a chosen nation. We know that Jesus comes and fulfills the old law. Uh, he, he doesn't do away with it. He fulfills it. And because of that, remember John Dixon talks about it's the prism and it just expresses the, full, the fullness of God's plan, and that is the local church, because Jesus dies and pays the penalty for us, right? He leaves the Holy Spirit in 33 AD in Acts chapter 2. But then we see that Constantine begins to change. There's all this oppression for Christians. 
Before Emperor Constantine recognized Christianity as a legal religion in 313, corporate ownership of property by the church or Christians was really ambiguous. It probably didn't happen much because obviously they were being persecuted. They weren't out there saying, hey, as Christians, we're going to buy something. Uh, It says that a lot of Christians in the early centuries were were basically uh, renting or using synagogue space. The church in Jerusalem had to use part of the temple, I think, as Christians to, to worship together. But unless claims for recent discoveries of early Christian meeting places are confirmed, the earliest building that we have on record is Dura Europas, and it's in the, uh, on the Euphrates River in eastern Roman Syria. But listen to this. It was a house that came into Christian possession. It was remodeled in about the 240s. Two rooms were combined to form the assembly room, and another room became the baptistry, the only room decorated with pictures. Okay, I wish I would have done this, and I didn't do it this morning, but do you remember I showed you that picture 46 years ago of this church, Green Bay Community Church, in a basement? So 240, there is a house that some Christians take over, and I don't know whose it was or someone gave it and said, let's use this as a gathering place. And so this morning, I'm not telling you that buildings are bad at all. It's just they don't define who we are. And yet in this culture today, it's difficult in America not to have a place to gather, right? There, there's not a lot of we, we talk about home fellowships, it's why we do groups, but it's more common to have the big place and the big things uh, for churches. There's a, there's a uh, here we go, there's uh, great pictures that I love about these beautiful churches all over the world, but I can imagine as cities begin to overpopulate and Christians begin to gather in homes, eventually they started to say what? Gosh, this basement, as our church did, you know what, let's buy the schoolhouse off GV because it will be a little bit bigger because our family's growing. We're beginning to get some more adopted members as a part of the family. And as it grew, then we went over to a new facility, and you could see eventually in cities, they begin to build these cathedrals. And friends, I want to make sure you hear, I've been to a lot of these cathedrals around the world, and they're absolutely spectacular. And there, there's something beautiful about them when you recognize uh, during that time there was a lot of illiteracy. People couldn't read, but people could look at a stained glass window and see uh, an artist's rendition of the crucifixion and be drawn to the Savior and, and hear the story. And you see, and you've been in churches where the stories are, are, are drawn out in art or in sculpture. And so you can see how these local churches uh, began to gather and buy property and build buildings. And so buildings aren't bad. But when buildings become the definition of the church, we miss the bigger mission. We are a family of believers. That's who we are. We happen to have 32 acres here at Green Bay Community Church. We happen to have a great facility. But we are the church, and so we don't go to church. We are the church. We are the family, and we're church all week. And so I'd have you ask yourself the question, what kind of church family are you outside of this place? What does family, the family of God, look like? What does community family look like at work, at home, you know, at the gas station, at the grocery store, at the school? That's the church. 
Ecclesia is the Greek word, and the gathering of citizens called out from their homes to a public place. In other words, this word church actually did not derive from Christian faith. It was not a, a spiritual term. It basically meant any public gathering. What I love about this, think about that, it eventually Christians took over the term because what they started to see more often than not was what? Christians gathering in a public place. When Christ followers begin to gather in a public place, they kept saying, there's another assembly. There's another ecclesia. And it started to just become part of the etymology, the development of that term as church. When there was a, a whole group of people that were meeting under the name of Jesus, church, church. So it's, it's mentioned all throughout uh, the New Testament. Peter actually doesn't mention it in First and Second Peter. But listen to 1 Corinthians. Paul will say this. He says it often. I've only picked one out. In the first place, I hear that when you, are, when you come together as a church, he's writing to the church in Corinth. That's why it's called 1 Corinthians. It's his first letter. He says, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. He says, as you come together, as you gather as an assembly of believers in the city of Corinth. That tells us that gathering, and the Hebrew writer will talk about that, do not forsake getting together as family. You should get together as family. Now, let me just push pause here for a moment. Friends, church says our gathering or our family doesn't have to be a big one. The Bible's clear. It says that whether two or three are gathered in my name, there I'm in the midst. In other words, it can be in homes. But what we see in the leadership structure, it says eventually some of these cities got bigger and they probably took over facilities and they started to need leadership. Pick elders, pick deacons. Some of you have gifts, and it starts to go through the list of gifts, and it says some of you have this, and you could see that the body became more complex, more diverse, lots of different people involved. And so I think in some ways they grew, but we don't get a lot of instruction on what that looks like. There's no building policy or property policy in the Bible about us as a family, a church family. John 1 says, he came... To that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. This is Jesus. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. In Hebrews 2.11 it says, Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Let me ask you this morning. Are you family? What kind of family are you? If you know Jesus, you're family. But are you that mystery uncle or aunt? Or, or are you the one that's, that's, that's dove in? Because we have some great stories of family members. There's some of you that can't wait for the gathering with your family, right? And I know we're, we're all flawed, so you've got the list of, oh, man, is uncle such and such coming and, you know, this person, that person? Sorry, I'm really hammering on uncles, and I'm one too. What kind of family member are you? What kind of family member are you to this, this body, this family? What does it look like? You can see how this thinking about whether I go to church or not. We, we've even talked about how we have live stream. And so no offense, all those people who are watching on live stream. Because there's a lot of people that watch that. But a lot of churches won't do live stream. You know Why? 
Because people will start taking that option, and what do they rob us from? Being family, seeing one another. Imagine if you said this Christmas, hey, listen, set up a, the, the webcam, I'll just watch it from my bed. I'll just watch it from my bed. You guys go ahead and do all that stuff. Uh, I'm going to just watch it from my bed. I mean, great for you. I mean, family is, is work. Family is effort. Romans 12, Paul will talk about the church in Rome. And I love that the letters in the New Testament are all to churches. And he'll say, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, the therefore is because Paul, for 11 chapters, has talked about all that God has done for us through Christ. And he says, therefore, brothers and sisters. He, Jesus it knows he's called us brothers and sisters, but Paul's also saying, you're family. He says, in view of God's mercy. Can I just stop for a moment? Do you know that this Christmas you're going to celebrate the grace given by God through Jesus Christ, the birth of, of Jesus? Do you also know we need to celebrate God's mercy through that birth? that you're not getting what you do deserve, that I'm not getting my due penalty for my sin. That's another thing to celebrate this Christmas. He says, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know what he's saying? In other words, it's like if this was the altar, it says every day you're to crawl up on this altar of sacrifice and lay yourself down and be killed and offer yourself to Christ himself and your family. And then roll off and do it all over again the next day. And roll off and go the next day and do it again. I mean, a living sacrifice is not a really pretty picture. Paul knows what he's talking about here. He's, he's using a word that refers back to Leviticus that's talking about a fully burnt up offering. Not one part of you is left. A full sacrifice. Friends, when we enter into a relationship with Jesus, you became family. We became brothers and sisters. And we're to offer ourselves this way. And we're to begin to change the way we think and it's not worldly thinking. And the world, even though everybody buys burgers at McDonald's, doesn't mean it's right, right? Doesn't mean it's healthy. Just because everybody thinks a certain way, we look to the authority, and the authority tells us what to think. And so God tells us that we need to renew our mind. It's why we gather. It says, that then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Then it says this, for by grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. Rather, think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance to the faith that God has distributed to each of you. What I love about this is that when you gather with family, you come with this attitude of, I'm not all that. You come recognizing that you don't have life figured out. You come saying, you know what, I'm part of family and it's messy. You probably notice some of the things I'll do in my seat right there before I, I come up here. And part of it's a prayer. You know what the prayer is? First of all, I don't deserve to do this. I didn't earn to come up here. I, I realize that. Second, I realize is I'm not that smart. So I have some new thing to give you, and here comes smart Pastor Troy, Bible answer man. Not. I'm definitely not that. 
The third thing is, what a privilege that God's allowed me to step up those steps and to use the gift he's called me to use. I get to be a part of family that way. It says, think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance to the faith that God's distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, all the different parts of our body, and these members do not all have the same function, isn't that great? I mean, you're not too excited about that. I am. I'm glad there's not another me. Because I would drive me crazy. And, and I, I mean that. I think we, we need, that's the beautiful diversity of the body of Christ. And truth be told, wouldn't it be awesome eventually if we could just respond as family? Because all the things that we're doing are things to help encourage you toward a mission. Things to serve. It's not because we have the right way for you to serve. Honestly, if you just started serving radically and generously, we wouldn't even have to do those things because it would be like, it would be beautiful chaos, right? We just owned a neighborhood and we just started this and we just started that and it would be beautiful. Today in North America, most Christians think that they're here just to get some more information about God and get some adrenaline shot for Monday through Saturday, and then come back again and feel either guilty or halfway decent about their week. We're family. And when the family gathers, it's to be multiplicity of parts. And so in Christ, we go through many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. In other words, I could have you stand up and say, you're mine. Or your business is my business, which is almost invasive, isn't it? It's like, wait, whoa, that's none of your business, right? The the scripture is completely countercultural, countercultural in the in the fact that we're family. We own the responsibility of being family. Let me illustrate this way. So all of you know that you have family situations that don't go well. And then you have typically some responses that the family, what, splits apart and there's severing in the family for whatever reason. But really, you're still family. Isn't that, that's the interesting part. You're still family. And you have a choice about how you're going to respond to the trouble in family. Do you have any church splits, people that walk out and try to find another because they're, they have a problem? What if God put this family in your life because it's filled with some problems? What if God put the trouble in your small group or in the the places that you've maybe been offended by other people in this little family for your growth, for you to bring peace, for you to bring restoration? Your family. And so as family, we have a choice to bring restoration and I know there's ugly pictures in family, but we're family in this spiritual family. And you know what attracted people to to the spiritual family, to Jesus? They'd point to this assembly, this ecclesia, this public meeting of Christians in the early church. They would point to it and go, wow, when they gather together, they sing. And they have this chance as family. And so how amazing it is when 10 or 20 or 30 or 200 or 500 people begin to say, Emmanuel, God with us, when family does that. Ah. 
When, when family gathers and starts to be generous and boxes come in and they fill up a room and they say, let's bring people in need and family does that together. Wow, that just sends ripples throughout a community. When family begins to, to give generously and spaces are opened up in facilities or buildings and, and the community hears it's a place where this spiritual family has opened up for us, wow. Can you just feel the impact of that? When we get a chance to have the high school ministry and see those younger trying to, to love Jesus and follow him and they, their family and they come up and lead us, wow. Hebrew writer says, do not forsake the assembling together as is the habit of some. Some people begin to get in the habit of, ah, family won't miss me. I'll just miss this Thanksgiving. Nobody will notice. You know how much I long to see your faces? You may not feel like you're known, but you're family. And there are other people that need you as family. And this is a large family. This thing I want to just go through here as I bolt in, in two minutes, but I'm not looking at the clock anymore. Uh, mission and method. Here's the problem. Most churches today can struggle with this battle. Is Our mission is not unclear to us. Every church ever that has ever existed, this family that Jesus brings us into and adopts us in, the mission is to make disciples. Matthew 28. It says what? Go, therefore, into all the world, preach the gospel, baptize him in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, Paul will say to Timothy, uh, in the things that you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Disciple, disciple, disciple. We're to love God and others and make disciples. There's not a mystery to that. The problem is, is that that's how, or that's what we're supposed to do. The how always gets confusing. So there's now a debate based on how we do that. And more people camp on the method. I don't like the songs they choose. I'm out. You know? That's like saying this year at Christmas, you know, whatever the dinner served, I don't like the way they did the yams this year. I'm out of here. I'm choosing a new family. I mean, the method will always change. Do you realize that? That's why... I'm not afraid of change because it's not changing the mission and the mandate that the scripture has called us to be. But methods, my friend, will. Culture changes. Times change. Resources change. All those things are changing. Our facility is just a facility. How we can leverage it for our mission is what's most important. Not color of carpet, not all those things. It doesn't matter. Now, we may leverage those things and it matters on some of our method, but you know what? Nothing is sacred in method. Too many people marry a method. I want you to think about that, mission and method. Now, there are three types of relationships that happen in Scripture, and I want to just give this to you, and then I'll move on, and we'll, we'll close here. Three types of relationships that, that happen uh, in life, and I'm going to kind of show you how this, this plays out in Scripture. First is a contract. You all know, most of you have signed a contract of some sorts. Two parties agree they list out what the criteria is. The rule of thumb with a contract is if you do not fulfill your end, what happens? The contract is null and void. It's contractual relationship. 
That means you do something for me and I'll do something for you, all right? Consumer relationship is different. Consumer relationship is if Tony offers something at his business. Let's say he's, he's got a, a business in town and I say, as long as Tony is providing what I like as a consumer, I'll stay with him. But if I find better or cheaper, I'm out. It's a consumer relationship. Okay, I want to stop right there because I think more people today in the church are treating family that way. They treat the body of Christ this way. You know what? We'll have a, what are you going to offer me? And then I'll, we'll draft up a contract. And if you don't fulfill this, I'm out. Could you imagine that in your, in your biological family? A lot of people treat the church also, though, the family this way. I'll be here as long as you're giving me what I want. So serve me. Will you just serve it up for me and make sure you give me what I want? And that's the ugliness, that's the muddy water that starts to happen in, in family church culture. It's because now we have churches that are trying to just to, to feed consumers. And I've said all along, I, I love our church. I love our family. I love what God's doing in us. I love hearing the stories about what how you are being family and the bride of Christ outside of these walls. But honest truth be told, I, I don't want to be a church that's trying to feed consumers. That doesn't mean we don't want to be, we're not, we're, trying, we're not trying to be offensive, you know, or arrogant. It just means I don't want to be a church that's just trying to uh, beg people to come to, to, to gather. I don't think you want that either. I think you want family. Here's the last relationship that's so powerful I want you to think about. Covenant. All the way back in Genesis 15 through 17, beautiful picture. Abraham um, is told by God, he says, cut up an animal, put it in two rows. It's called a covenant relationship. And the person that would walk through would be making a covenant saying, if I do not fulfill my promise to you, you can cut me up like this animal. I'm paraphrasing. He tells Abraham, God does, do not walk through it. And he has a dream, and God walks through it. This is in Genesis 15 and 17. God walks through this and says, a covenant is saying, I will, whether or not you fulfill your end or not. When you've been brought into the family of God, you made a covenant with Jesus himself saying, I will, no matter what. I will, no matter what, no matter who fulfills their other end. I am serving a God who's given me this covenant relationship. And not only that, God said he would pay the price for our disobedience. And so not only he fulfilled his end of the bargain when we didn't, he took the penalty for us not doing it. What, what is your family? If you had to grade yourself this morning, what does that look like? It says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and God's spirit dwells within your midst? The spirit, you know, when we gather together, this is the powerful part. You are the church. What does it mean to be a church member? Let me quickly go through this. And you have a, a sheet of paper on there. It's a card. Not the voting card, but there should be another card on there. And we kind of, enough for kind of groups of you to, to get together. And so... In Ephesians 4, it just says that Christ gave apostles and prophets, 
some pastors, evangelists, teachers, to equip his people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up. Our whole goal is to, to use the family gifts we've been given so that we grow up and, and become a mature family. We've written a statement. Our statement is, some of you have asked, how do we become a member? And so here's an elephant in the room. A lot of people think, what class do I need to go to? And we've been wrestling with this, both elders and staff, but friends, nowhere in the Bible is there such thing as church membership. It is you became a child of God when you entered in relationship with Jesus Christ and you are the church. There's, you already are a member. The question then is, what kind of family member are you? And so here's the statement that we've written about what we believe, what kind of family member we're looking to be a part of with our family. We at Green Bay Community Church, as believers in Jesus and a part of his body, the church, are joining the cause of Christ in being a transforming community of families that are loving God and others. Being a part of community is more than just attending a class. Now, again, classes aren't bad. If it's a tradition and a method that we use that helps us what? Fulfill our mission, helps us remember and respond to truth, it's a great thing. It's more than just attending a class. It's actively declaring that you're committing to being an owner, a family member, not just an attender by the way you live. The motivation behind becoming a part of our, this community family is not about what can be received, but what can be given. I know a lot of you are new this morning. Community church is not about dishing out what you need as much as it is, it's all of us giving as family. It's all of us giving as family. Because friends, you are going to be sorely disappointed. You're going to be so disappointed because I will fail you. The people left and right of you will fail you. But when we surrender our relationship with Christ and we recognize that we're this flawed family that gathers together and uses our gifts, that we can be a community that sees God do great things through us. There are basic three areas that we put on that card that really you can be this great family member right now. You can do that. It says connect with God. First and foremost, you cannot be a part of the church, the family of God, unless you know God. You've got to surrender your life to Jesus. It says you have to acknowledge that. You ask him uh, to be Lord of your life. You need to declare that in faith and baptism. Our family gathers, and every six weeks we pull out that baptizzi, and so we say some people are going to declare the, the lordship of Christ in their life by uh, symbolically going down in, in baptism just like Christ. That's a beautiful picture of a family tradition. We are to ex attend services regularly. We're to give regularly. This is all part of being a family, part of the family of God. It's what they did. Belonging to the body means getting in a group. So many people think that just being a Christian is this private relationship and personal devotion. The Bible was written to communities. It was written for you to read and work through together with people. Nowhere is this, is this picture of living out your family responsibility alone ever true. It doesn't mean you don't get alone. It doesn't mean you don't have private time. It just means you're to be a part of people's lives. And it's messy. And like I told you, I have to be friends to everybody. You get to choose. 
attend a leadership launch. We do that twice a year. That just means you get to stand up and say, I'm being family. I'm, I'm being what God already told me to be, and I'm, I'm, a partic- I'm just committing to the family that I'm going to be a better uncle. You know, I'm, I'm going to do as much as I can as, as uncle. Last, it says, go and serve others and serve regularly. And really, this is just part of what it means to be a good family member. It means be the church. Be it. You're already in. You can't change that. If you know Jesus, you're already in. He says, be the church. And it doesn't mean Sunday morning. This is really easy. You dress up nice. You act really nice. You, you drive out of the driveway really nice and orderly. It's going to be when churches or our gathering's over. As the, as the team comes up and we go to communion this morning, what I would challenge you to, I want you to ask yourself a question. I want you to grade yourself. What kind of family member are you to this family? If, if you were to measure yourself this morning, we'll go traditional A through F, you know, see, we all got that. It, this is not for you to share with anybody else, but you, between you and God, answer the question, what kind of family member are you? Because you're already family. And maybe this morning you don't, you're, you haven't been good family. And, and we want to invite you, you can be. You can express who you are and be flawed right here. We invite you to that. And Jesus, as he calls us to, re, to be reminded of his sacrifice for us, says, I've made you family. I've forgiven you. I love you. Can you go in turn and do that for more family members and adopt them in? Father, this morning, as we think about family, would you put on our hearts for us to be reminded what it means to be the church, to be this beautiful bride that people in the community, in the nation, will see something different. Not our methods, but God, our mission, and the one we love. In Jesus' name, amen.